1: Welcome to another week. It is the second week of May and it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we have another amazing guest for you guys today. It is our really good friend, Parker Turlack. Parker is the founder of Identify You, an online mental wellness solution that is transforming the way individuals find and receive support. His focus on the mental wellness experience is transforming the expectations of the market around choice, transparency, and results. He is passionate about making an impact in the lives of others who are dealing with mental health issues and openly shares his own personal mental health story in order to provide hope and encouragement for those who may be struggling on their own journey to mental wellness. After many years spent building a successful career, helping Fortune 500 executives bring new and innovative concepts to market, Parker made the decision to walk away from it all to pursue his true calling and passion, focused on democratizing mental wellness support globally. Identify You was founded with one central purpose and mission, to bring the best mental wellness experience and professionals to people's fingertips. Today, Parker, his wife, Laura Lee, and their daughter, McCall, live in Dallas, Texas, and they are excited to announce they are expecting their second child this October, which so excited for them. And we are just so grateful that Parker joined us today and appreciate his vulnerability of his story. And we did want to give a heads up that this episode contains sensitive content that may not be suitable for children. So just as a heads up before you start listening. Also, you know, we're so grateful that Parker shared his personal story. We did want to mention if you know somebody or yourself is struggling with suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-8255. With that, we'll get started, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, sisters. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Yay. Well, welcome to another week. I'm not going to waste any time, and we're so excited to have basically like our brother on today, (laughs) one of our (laughs) close family friends, Parker Turlack.
0: Welcome, Parker.
2: Hey guys, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, you guys are my sisters, so this is pretty fun.
0: Well, we just thank you so much for taking the time to spend it with us today and our listeners and just share your story, and I think um, I already know that this episode is going to offer so much to our listeners, and the fact that you are a male and willing to um, just share your journey and experience is going to bless so many out there, so Thank you.
2: Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. You know, this is this is one of my favorite things to get to do is, is tell my story. And it makes me feel like some of the things that I've gone through have more purpose to it. And maybe there's something that I'll say today that'll resonate with somebody out there that, that may be struggling, maybe struggling in silence. And that's ultimately what I think about every day is we, we just never know. Uh, what other people are dealing with, and no matter what mask they put on for that day, it could be a real opportunity for us to make a change. And so I hope today there's something that I say to somebody that catches them and knows that there is hope out there and things will get better. We're just dealing with moments in time.
0: Yes, I love that. And so if you would, Parker, just give our listeners, we kind of know Your way back background as we all kind of grew up with you and me being the big sister you you are like a little brother to me and you know that our mom and dad adore you and our whole family adores you but if you would just give our listeners a little bit about who is Parker and what has gotten you to where you are today and if you Don't mind. Dive into your story of how you got to where you are right now.
2: Yeah. So I'll keep my my background relatively short. I've always been a little bit of an outlier. I I do know that, (laughs) and (laughs) kind of uh, people have always said that I've walked to my own beat of a drum. And I've always kind of challenged the system. And I think that that has been the one thing that has followed me throughout my life. And. There have been incredible things that have come along with that, incredible opportunities, and there's been incredible challenges. And so as I got older, uh, there was a common thread of I never really fit into the system. Anybody that knows me understood that I, I wasn't necessarily made for Traditional school, I wasn't really in the form of dealing with hierarchy and people that were telling me what to do, um, because I was always a why child. I wanted to understand why we were doing what we we did, and that and that really pushed uh, into my uh, adult life as well. And I think sometimes when I get asked this by my therapist or by um, my coaches or my psychiatrist is do you think that some of your challenges in your later life were partly due to something that was underlying when you were younger? And what I mean by that is, and, and we can fast forward now to my present life, because that's really what this is about and what I've gone through in the past 10 years, is there was an inflection point that happened with me around college transitioning into my career where all of these issues started to come in and there really was nobody there for me to confide in. I didn't have the support around me to just Mm -hmm. tell me that I was okay and that I wasn't in a spot that wasn't unique to other people out there. And I think like many of us out there, we live in this, this vacuum and we live in this this. Reality that we create in our minds of you know this is what everybody else is experiencing. They're driving Rolls Royces, they're on yachts, you know, they're making a million dollars a year. And look at me, I'm I'm living in a. At the time, I remember I got out of school and I was living in a. People called it like a tree house almost (laughs) because it was on top of this lady's house. Her name was Jerry. She smoked about. 30 cigarettes a day and talk like this. (laughs) Um, But, you know, my friends would come over and they would go, dude, what, what is going on with your life right now? You know, you're, and what was happening was my best friends were seeing that I had this double life going. I had this life that I had created um, for the outside world, this Highly, highly successful individual, and really just wanted people to know that my god, like I, I made it, I'm a superstar, I'm two years out of college, and you know, nobody can stop me. And, and it also came along with nicknames. Uh, you know, my friends would call me P. Diddy uh, when we would go because I would take on an alter ego, um, I would become somebody else almost. And all all it was, was me not wanting to be vulnerable. It was me running away from the realities of that. I was really scared. I was really hurting. I had no clue what I was doing. And I thought everybody else around me did. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that was really that inflection point where things started to evolve and take turns uh, into a more serious type of situation. So, in that—that that was kind of a synopsis, you know. Over line, hey, that, you know, I've lived pretty out there kind of life. I don't want to get into the details, but let's just say I've—I have some incredible stories of this alter ego that I created over a couple years. And unless you were there, it's really hard to to believe that I was living that kind of life.
0: Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's like, maybe, do we know you,
2: Parker? Uh, I know. Well, you know, so I won't bring up his name, but he's my best friend. He used to come over to my house at that time, and he would walk in, and I'd have, I don't know if you've ever seen Mad Men, but the Mad Men theme music constantly playing in my house, and I would walk around (laughs) with Scotch glasses, and I wanted to become Don Draper. I really did want to have this separate life, from what reality was and Mm -hmm. people tolerated it i guess you could say but it was it was a roller coaster and and a a lot of issues um started to happen over a a three-year span because of it and uh that by the way that is also the time that i was introduced to my wife so god bless her for getting to experience (laughs) the end of that era
0: (laughs) Well, hey, you know, you can be confident she's in it for the long haul. Yeah, she, yeah, this
2: poor girl, she's been through so much. She's been through so much. And I guess Aww. if I may, I, you know, I actually want to just, that's a great segue into, it's not just about me, right? It's about the people, it's the loved ones around you that are affected by what you're dealing with. And, yeah. you know, the most emotional part of my story is thinking about how the things that occurred to me affected the people that I loved the most and had to go through that with me. So diving deeper into the occurrences, if you'd like me to, I can take you through. Yeah, I'd love to take you through that.
1: Yeah, perfect. I was like, what was really going on yeah. like in your head? And yeah,
2: so yeah. things really started to get I, l- I love this word, caddy for me. I really had a distorted reality. After a couple years, and I would say that I was never at that point more distant from God than I was during that time period after college. Mm -hmm. I was trying to take the world on my own, and it was really scary. And I had started a company, and it was growing, and I was in over my skis, and Mm -hmm. I knew it. What ended up occurring was I had all of these different providers um, that I had been seeing, And, and mind you. You know, I've been seeing therapists, psychiatrists, social workers since I was five years old. Uh, So I've seen over 60 professionals so far in my life.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. It's been a, it's been an interesting ride for sure. So there have been incredible moments and there have been really frustrating moments um, in it. But unfortunately, the system is very fractured in the way that it works in terms of their ability to transfer information and intellectual capital about what's going on from a uh, provider to provider. So that could be yeah. a therapist or that could be a coach or that could be a psychiatrist, but they make it very difficult for there to be any continuity in the process. And so what ended up happening, unfortunately was I was prescribed some medication uh, for depression and I ended up taking this medication, and I went on a business trip, and things started to get really funky. I couldn't sleep. I was I was visibly shaking. Mm. The world was kind of, you know. Sometimes you see in movies where it's, it's like the breasts are taking the picture in and out, where it almost seems like the world is coming in on you. So it was very much like a, a panic attack, but it was it was much much bigger in a sense of the longevity so it started to get worse and worse over a span of 48 hours i didn't know what was going on i never heard of anything like this but i went back and i just knew that i had to keep trying to execute on work and i had nobody to talk to i felt like because i was also ashamed that i was dealing with depression i didn't want to tell my what or my soon-to-be wife at the time i certainly wasn't going to share with uh, my coworkers and family. So, you know, I'm on a complete island and I created that island myself. But I ended up uh, going into my first manic episode. And for people that don't know what mania is, mania is essentially, I like to, you know, use it more in a visual sense. It's its like if you stood on a roof and most people will go, oh man, I, I don't want to fall. I don't want to fall off this roof. When you're in a state of mania, you think that you can jump from one roof to the other, or if you need to fly, you think that you can start a record label overnight. You think that you can solve the most grandiose problems out in the world and you have convinced yourself. I mean, it's it's insane to think the wow. stuff that I went through um, and I ended up trying to get on a flight to Australia Um, I was going to jump off of a cliff. And like, that was my my big hurrah into finding out that I was uh, clinically bipolar. And that is when my life changed dramatically.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So Mm -hmm. I'll I'll do a hard stop there because it's about to get ugly. And it depends on if you guys want to go into it.
0: No, we, if you are open to sharing, I think that it, we would love for you to to go into as much detail as you're comfortable with. Okay. And yeah, I think that it's going to help so many. So, okay.
2: Uh, and please it. interject with questions. If you have any, I know it's, it's, this is very foreign subject to most people, but again, I just hope that maybe there's somebody out there that's listening that hears me in a special way and it means something to them. So they ended up by, uh, and I say, they, my family came in, my, the person I was dating soon to be wife came in and, and, said hey we have to put you into some kind of a a help center and it's for lack of a better term it's a it's an institution and they put me into what's called Shoal Creek in Austin and anybody from Austin probably should know the area but it's it's actually like right in the center of Austin and you just drive by it every day I don't drive by it you know the same way I used to because I look in there and I know I was on the fourth floor Mm -hmm. um you know trying to survive but it was one of the most jarring experiences for my family. We were scared out of our minds. We didn't know who to talk to. And while I was in there, you know, I have some really funny stories and some really scary stories while I was in there because it was a public center. So its it was the government, uh, it's, it wasn't a private, let's just put it that way. And people, people say that uh, it's not like one flew over the cuckoo's nest anymore. Um, They like to say that, but the reality is it is. So the first thing that I saw when I walked in was a guy had cut his throat and had stitches and staples all the way across his throat. And most of the people in there are, you know, they're homeless and they go in there and they figured out a a loophole in the system to get drugs and to basically they want to become catatonic is not the right word, but they like the feeling of taking themselves into this, this deep drug induced state. Uh, so you get a lot of these people that are in off the street as well. (laughs) The funny, I have some, one of the funny stories that I have to tell is there was this young guy. So I was about 24 at the time, 23. And there's this young guy that I ended up getting paired up with and you're not allowed to have cell phones. You're not allowed to have, you know, any of the stuff that you're used to. So you're, basically, and just like some clothes. You can't shave. You can't, you know, you're totally locked down. There's bars on the windows. You get, you know, I had to be strip searched when I went in there. It's like high level. You're in jail and we'll let you out when we think that you should be let out. So it's basically you're in there till we say you're not nuts anymore. And my roommate at the time had a cell phone and I was like, well, why does he get a cell phone and I don't get a cell phone. And they they said, the cell phone doesn't work. And I was like, what do you mean? He's on it 24-7. Like, at the time, we called it anytime minutes. But I was like, this guy's anytime minutes are insane. Like, he's on this thing 24-7. Like, there's nobody on that. So after a couple of days of sitting there, I'm like, I'm fed up. And I also think I have, I'm convinced at this point that I have bed bugs Because so, oh my, my back is hurting so bad. And I'm now getting aggressive and be like, I got bedbugs and, you know, flipping out. And they're like, you do not have bedbugs. And I can't stop talking about these bedbugs. Meanwhile, I got this guy over there um, <laughs> and he's, he's having full-on conversations. I said, nobody... Is on the other, other line. Like, you're not talking to anybody. And he, he goes, Well, you don't have bed bugs. Well, the end of that, oh the God. end of the story was I get out of there and I go see my GP at the time. And he goes, Hey, man, you, you, you don't have bed bugs. And I was like, What? Like, how is that possible? I had shingles. So oh. um, I don't know if you guys know what shingles are, but I just, I always laugh about that because. What This really meta moment started to happen in in Shoal Creek, which was, like, I was recognizing that everybody in there was kind of, like, off, Mm -hmm. and I was recognizing that I was just as off, so I didn't really know if he was on his phone talking to somebody or not. Like, I had zero awareness of what was real and what wasn't for the first time in my life. I totally questioned everything that I thought I knew about myself, what I thought about the world, because it all now made me feel like, Oh, I don't know anything. So my wife, my, my then girlfriend at the time, she dropped me off that day and and she came back the next day. And I was so they, they put you into basically a a coma um, because they want to get you out of the manic episode and mm-hmm. she walked in with my mom and they said, if he looks like the people that we saw yesterday when he dropped him off, we're going to take him out of here. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I came walking around the corner and I mean, I didn't know, I mean, I don't even remember it. So they they looked at me and I was a, a shell of myself. Basically, you know, for lack of a better term, I was drooling on myself because I just, they just suppressed my my mood so, so low. Wow. And I think what's incredible about this story, when I talk about family and, and you start to realize like who's in it with you and who's not, I remember I was sitting out, looking out the window. And it was like the fourth day I was there and I could actually see my house. Um How bizarre is that? That wow. out the window that I was out of the bars of Shoal Creek, I could actually see my house. So I could see where my girlfriend was at the time and I was so close but so far and I remember thinking if she doesn't come back today I don't blame her but I don't know how I'm gonna go forward and she came back and I remember I started to cry and that's when I knew that I was gonna marry her because I don't know a lot of people that would knowingly put themselves in that kind of situation for somebody knowing what she just didn't have to do it. And, you know, that, that meant the world. And unfortunately it, it didn't get much better from there. I, uh,
0: so really quick, Parker. Let me just interrupt for a second. So you had your mania—is that what you called it—about the mm-hmm. mania, okay, um, about flying to Australia and jumping off a cliff, and mm-hmm. then, and so at that point in time, you had already been diagnosed with bipolar. Is I had, I hadn't.
2: Um, so okay. that occasion was what finally put everything over the edge, and that oh, yeah. was mm-hmm. when the the PhDs came in and really mm-hmm. started to dissect the issue and they okay. diagnosed me as being bipolar 2 um okay. and not to get into the semantics but there is a difference between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 um okay. but yes that's that's kind of how the the path went got
0: it and yeah. then whenever they took you to shoal creek were you willing like was that did you go at ease or was there a fight there or it was a
2: pretty big fight yeah. so they confronted me and kind of i say they my father my mother and i don't know why i didn't oh, just say laura yeah. lee um yeah, Lord she lee. didn't care <laughs> everybody knows who she is and, and uh she was the one who called my parents actually and m- My dad was the one who kind of took the authoritarian stance and and was it was almost getting to the point where it, it could have gotten physical because in that state of mind, you know, as I said over and over to them, I was like, you guys are the fools. I am the master. I know all right now. I am a genius. And those are the kinds of things that you say. You guys are you know, you guys are you have no idea how Off you are and what a genius I am. Mm -hmm. And so we agreed. He said, Fine, you know, go for one day. And if you don't want to stay, we'll take you out of there. Well, that's not the reality. Right. Once they put me in there, I didn't have a choice um, to to leave.
0: Okay. So then, so sorry, I just wanted to clarify that. No, please. So then you get out of there and then tell us what happened next.
2: Yeah. So again, I I can't go through all this stuff, but over a three year span, I kept Mm -hmm. kind of going back and forth between different providers, getting different medications. And I wasn't really staying in touch with any of them um, because I ended up moving to Dallas and I did a poor job of managing my medications as well and and doing check-ins. So it wasn't just their fault, but unfortunately I fell into a deep, deep depression. And this lasted, the really, really depths of this lasted for about six months. And it was hard for me to function on, so people say a day-to-day basis. I was having problems functioning on a minute-to-minute basis and continuing to be a productive person in society. We had some things go down within the family, and I had stuff going on at work. That got very messed up and I lost it. Something snapped again. And that's one thing that you'll find common in people that are diagnosed with bipolar is uh, it's usually external stress events that happen that trigger off these episodes. That's when I lost all sense of reality and, and when it, it when it became a movie. Um, I didn't understand the difference between reality and you know fiction at this point. And so this is when it when I started going out uh, when my wife now uh, was sleeping, and I was trying to find places to try to commit suicide in the middle of the night, unbeknownst to her, leaving the bed and then getting back in the bed, trying to plan this out successfully over about a two to three day period. So I was doing this around two to four in the morning um, for a couple of days. And I woke up. That next morning, and I knew that today was the day. And I think that my Laura Lee knew that this something was really, really off at this point. And she wouldn't let me leave the house. And I got in the car and I just drove. And I was going to go to the spot that I had scouted out uh, the day prior, which was at a church on a highway called Northwest Highway in Dallas, where I knew that people could pick up enough speed and it was a blind corner. So they wouldn't have time to stop when I stepped in front of the vehicle. Mm. And on my way there, I saw Laura Lee's car behind me and she was tailing me. And I pulled over at the mall Right there on Northwest Highway. I can't remember what it's called right now. North Park. Yeah, North Park. And, mm-hmm. she, and she got out of the car and was crying. And she goes, where are you going? And, and I, I just kept telling her, it's okay. It's okay. Nothing's wrong. It's okay. And I it wasn't reality. It, I I usually can't straight face lie like that. I don't have that kind of talent unless I'm able to totally manipulate my mind. But I wasn't in reality. And so she left thinking everything was going to be fine. And I went straight to that spot and I stood there for probably a little over an hour. It started to rain a little bit, but it was still sunny. And I remember I kept trying to step out in front of where I was waiting for trucks because um, I wanted to make sure that it didn't hurt the person and that it certainly did its job. And I couldn't get myself to do it like three or four times. And then that voice in the back of my head that has, for better or worse, pushed me into 90% of my decisions in life um, said, do it. Like you're, you're a failure. You can't even do this. Like you can't even do this. That's how big of a failure you are. And those are the last words I actually said to myself before I Actually stepped in front of the truck and it hit me apparently between thirty and fifty feet into the grass. I woke up, I guess a day later or something like that. My wife and my parents had been called by the police in Austin and said, "You guys need to get a pastor. Uh, your son's gonna die." You know, they knocked on their door at their house, and that was the the introduction my mom got to it and. That's yeah. So obviously, my wife got the call, and uh, everything kind of changed for us from there. I mean, it just it changed our family. My my sister, probably the hardest. No, it is the hardest thing she's ever gone through. It still impacts her on a daily basis. There was a huge ripple effect from from that decision.
0: Gosh, Parker, I think just, just like bring tears to my eyes. Yeah. Thank you so much for going there. And I think like my mama heart, you know, I've always just, it's deeper than just hearing a stranger tell that story, you know? And so, wow, you know, and I guess what I'm wondering is through, you know, even I think the beauty in this is that is something as horrific and traumatic and devastating as this, the beauty that can appear from it, even if, if it takes time and that's what you're doing now, you know? And so I just, I thank you for all the work that you've put in to get to where you are right now, to be vulnerable, to share your story. And I know, I know that not only is this going to touch people that is, are going to be able to relate to those emotions and what you're describing, but also I think that, Honestly, it's so important for people like us to hear that don't struggle with mental illness to have a better understanding and awareness because that can only make us more compassionate and understanding, even if we don't know anybody personally going through it, but maybe one day we will, you know, so.
3: Well, and I think there's so many different levels of mental Mm -hmm. health, right? I think there's, you know... I don't want to say spectrum, but that's probably not the right word. But I think that, and I think so many people struggle in silence, like you were saying, Parker. And I just, I'm curious, clearly, you know, you are here for a reason because I think you mentioned the doctor said that it's unlikely that you were going to live. So I'm just curious, like, what do you think? Why are you, what do you think? Why God has you still here? I guess. Yeah. My question.
2: Yeah. You know, I, um, (laughs) I wish I could say that was the only instance. You know, a lot of my friends actually call me the cat. And, and the reason being is, for some reason, I have many, many lives. And I've, that's not the only n- near-death uh, event in my life. And, you know, for a long time after that, for about three years after that, I didn't know why. I didn't know why. I was actually very, very angry when they woke me up out of whatever was going on. I had bleeding in the brain. I had broken knees. The thing that made me irate was that my teeth had all been knocked out in the front, and nobody had gone and picked them up. That was my biggest concern, was that I was uh, toothless, and it really just... That was my big concern was, was that I wasn't going to look, look good, you know, so that's pretty typical.
0: There's your vanity. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, so for a long time, I, I didn't know. And I, I don't think anybody really understood, but some miraculous things have happened out of it. And so before I even get into that, I can tell anybody this and say it was so much joy. Besides the birth of my daughter and marrying my wife, that event was the best thing that ever happened to me. Hmm. It fundamentally changed the way that I looked at the world, that I approached the world, and it wasn't an overnight type of thing. I didn't have this epiphany moment. Mm -hmm. It was through a lot of work. It was through a lot of support. And it was beautiful to watch my family come together. We used to be so uh, quiet with each other. And, and you know, we we didn't share our feelings. We never talked about anything that was going on in our lives growing up. Mm-hmm. And this forced us to. It was amazing. And, and all of a sudden, all of our lives start to change. And our relationships start to get stronger. And for my marriage, it brought our marriage close together because we had to communicate. We don't have an option. I wish I could have learned that without having to go through it. But, um, you know, on a personal level, it's great with that. But then something else started to occur on a more macro sense of I started to talk to a lot of people that were struggling. People were connecting with people that were going through depression and anxiety. And we were strangers. But there's something really uniting about that conversation. There's something beautiful about that vulnerability. And that's when I discovered that for me, vulnerability and love is the key to my life. That's what I hold most important. That is what life is about for me. And that's when the gate started to open up in terms of conceptualizing what's actually possible, what we can actually do to change the system.
1: And so how did you get from that point, you know, just probably the darkest point in your life to where you are today, you know, healthy and thriving and building a company?
2: Yeah. Well, if I may take one step back, because this is a very important fact, which is after Shoal Creek, they had me seen again, different psychiatrists, different therapists. It was a mess. It was Mm -hmm. an absolute mess. And they were over medicating me to the point that I was functioning probably at half speed. And, and I'm not speaking in terms of months, I'm, I'm speaking in terms of years. So, what was very difficult about this was I had transitioned um, after Shoal Creek. I got back into the technology space, and the demands of my profession were highly stressful. Yeah. Um, I work with high level fortune 500 executives that demand excellence there's not a lot of empathy there and i had to perform on a daily basis and when you're over medicated and your brain's not fully functioning i don't know how to describe it other than it, it feels like you're trying to swim with 20 pound weights on your ankles yeah and so that went on for quite a amount of time and unfortunately there were a bunch of things that kind of collided at once. And that is uh, when I went into another episode and I ended up taking a step in front of that, that car. And so the reason why I wanted to give that context is because going forward after Shoal Creek and going forward after Zale Lipschke, which was the second institution that I went to, uh-huh. it wasn't any easier unfortunately they yeah. they have this method of trial and error and everyone that i mentor everyone that i i am friends with that's going through this is just as fed up with the process as i am and the reason is because it's the same story over and over again you can only take so much ambiguity and you can only take so much Of feeling like you've lost a bit of yourself. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: You know, for one or two years, it's fine. But as time progresses, and you're fighting every day to manage yourself and be able to be a functioning human being, it's it's the most helpless feeling in the world. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. And finally, I found an individual that Started to really sit down and understand and connect the dots. And I think that that is the biggest piece of advice that I can give, which Mm -hmm. is you have to find somebody that really cares. And unfortunately, they're overwhelmed. And when I say they, psychiatrists and therapists traditionally are very overwhelmed and burnt out. Uh-huh. It, and that's just because there's not enough of them. But you have to keep trying it until you find the right person. And thats I wish there was a better answer that I could give. But it wasn't until I found somebody that really sat me inside and said why we were taking the method that we were taking towards getting me better that things started to turn. And I started to find myself again and started to function at my full level that I was able to. Yeah. I just, I want people to hear that we all go through it Mm -hmm. because it does feel like you're the only one. It does feel like nobody understands, but in a way we're all going through something very similar and you just have to keep fighting and Mm -hmm. searching for the right person and the right method. And that's, unfortunate, but you just have to keep moving forward.
1: Yeah. I love that because we interviewed my therapist last week and something Kristen brought up is she had a lot of trouble finding the right therapist for her and she just encouraged people to just keep trying. So I think coming from you too, who's been through so much and through so many therapists and you never gave up and you found the right one, that's a huge message. So thank you. And I'm so glad you found the right one.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I again, I think it's fundamental to the success of the Therapeutic Alliance. I don't think that you can have the kind of results that you really are striving for unless you have that belief in each other and yeah. understanding. And it's a very intimate relationship. And mm-hmm. I wish there was a magical button, yeah. but it really is just trial and error. And it's so worth it when you finally find it.
1: Yeah. And does your therapist do, is it a combination for you of like medicine and just routine? What do you think has been like the biggest change and help for you if you had to pinpoint something?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think for me in particular, especially because of being diagnosed with bipolar is uh, structure is extremely important. And so one of the things that I work on with my coaches and my therapist is finding a good way of practicing structure both in my work, my fitness, my health, certainly my sleep has changed a lot. We had to add some hours in there. That is really at its core what is going to help all of the other stuff work, you have mm-hmm. to find ways to put things in place that really balance your life out and get in, and give you the ability to even have perspective. I think so many times we're just overwhelmed in general, and we have to find ways to gain some space just to think and breathe and really be dynamic in the way that we're engaging with certain activities in our life.
1: I love that. That's great.
2: And to kind of hop forward a little bit in what's occurring now with my company and what we're focused on with groups like UT Southwestern Brain Institute.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you, like, so please do share with us and our listeners all the things that have come from this and um, yeah. and what you're doing, I know uh, with identify you and and everything else. So let's go there.
2: yeah, yeah, so. I didn't know at the time. I'm just, like I said earlier, I'm a why person. And so I started to dive into fundamental research. So meaning um, I didn't realize I was doing research on the mental health industry. And I was trying to understand why there was so much rhetoric out there about the system's broken. We have to fix the system. You have all these PhDs writing these Huge dissertations and, and research, but but nobody's actually doing anything. Um it, it's shocking. And when I started to look at specifically the cohorts of individuals out there that are really struggling, I started to notice this, this pattern, not only with the people that I mentor and speak to, but also with all of the data that was coming out. You know, we look at the fact that There was a 73% increase in mental illness in the past 10 years amongst college students. Wow. That is mind-blowing to me. Mm -hmm. And what's hard to understand is that nobody is actually doing anything to change this pattern. And Mm -hmm. at the very core of the issue is the fact that for every hundred thousand people needing support. For mental health issues there are only four providers so think about that you're sitting in the cotton bowl everybody in there is waiting for a turn for support but you only have four people on the field that can help them it's it's mind-blowing and so my main focus over the past year and a half is how can we democratize the key asset of the mental health industry And that key asset itself is the health providers. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done is we've created a marketplace for these college students to go to. I think going back to what Kristen said, there's this spectrum, right? But the thing is, is nobody really knows where they are on this spectrum. It's so opaque. It's so... Ambiguous, right? We just know that something's wrong with us. You know, I'm not feeling right. I'm dealing. Maybe I'm going through a breakup. Maybe I don't know why I'm in school anymore. I want to be in school anymore, or you know, it could be a myriad of things. But you don't actually know the severity of of what you're dealing with. You just know you need support, and that's why we say, just come to us, and we'll match you with the level of support you need. So we're taking all of this confusion and ambiguity out of trying to find the right providers. Where do I go to find them? What if I don't like the provider and I want to go see another provider? We're removing all of those hurdles so that we really have a centralized ecosystem for students to go to to focus on just getting better, just being the best person they can be. We don't care where you are. We don't care if you're um, you know, bipolar. We don't care if you're just dealing with, you're struggling with some classes. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to us. So we're focused on trying to pair those individuals up with the right le- level of care and trying to make it as flexible, transparent, and linear as possible. Because we are actually, there's something that is is very key to the way that we brought this model out. We are focused on the level of care. We are not a transactional type of model, which is traditionally what you see in the mental health arena, which is you go in for a visit and then you pay for the visit. Then you leave and then you come back and you pay for the visit. Ours is a very holistic approach with a, objective results. So you can actually see how you are doing in the process as you go towards your end goals. We want there to be transparency in the product. We want there to be transparency in your growth. And we want there to be confidence that we're moving towards something in a really transparent way.
3: I love this so much because I've I've mentioned so many, you know, I'm really big into therapy and, you know, all the mental health things. And it has been, I've been looking for a therapist for years and it took, you know, losing my mom, unfortunately, to finally be like, I don't have a choice. Like I have to talk to someone. Mm -hmm. Um, but being able to provide, to make it easier, you know, I was telling my husband the other day, I was like, God, it's just so exhausting. And it just takes a lot out of you to find the right person, you know, and the right, but to, I just love what you're, you're doing because it just makes it that much easier. And that, takes a lot of stress off the person who's already going through so much mentally, you know? So yeah, I just love it.
0: Parker, just to piggyback off that is, it really sounds like you guys are providing like almost being a matchmaker service for the client and the provider. Is that, is that fair?
2: Yeah, it is. So it's a marketplace business model. Um, We are a matchmaker. And I think one of the things that's important to put at the forefront of this is that this is a therapeutic alliance right? So to Kristen's point, it's very important that you feel extremely comfortable with the individual you're working with. And in order to do that, we really have to give the freedom of choice. And so when we look at this, and I I love to use this term, some people frown upon it, but it is a user experience. We are consumers, we are consuming a service. And so we have to think about it in that manner. And I'm, I'm, doing a complete shift away from the traditional model and really thinking about the user experience and making sure that we take all the barriers to growth and to support out of the way.
0: That's so so freeing. And Kristen, I agree. It's just to take some of that time and um, just mental space to shorten that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's coming from personal experience. Uh, You know, of course I'm different where I got diagnosed with a incurable syndrome. I was so overwhelmed and so stressed out and the grief and the stress of having something that's not curable. Like the last, uh, the last thing I wanted to do is focus on who is the right person to get me through mentally. So it's just like, Oh, I just think it's so needed. And um, I really think it's missing in our culture. So I think that I just, I want to get the word out there as much yeah, as I can,
2: yeah. you know? I, pre- I appreciate that. You know, honestly, I just got tired of getting multiple texts a week and multiple calls saying, hey, can you find me somebody? Yeah. Think, <laughs> Parker, Parker, just find me somebody. You know, yeah. after a while, I'm going, okay, you, you know, this started probably five years back, but I still get probably two to three pings a week saying, hey, my buddy needs to find a, a, an anger um, coach or an anger therapist you know, whatever it might, be, whatever the spectrum is, but I get those pings constantly and I'm going, God, this system is so messed up right now. Yeah.
0: Well, that's awesome that you're, I feel like that's where success comes from is just filling a gap in the market. And obviously you've gotten firsthand proven knowledge that there's a definite need. I have a question. So are you guys starting with, um, specifically college students, or will this service be available to anybody?
2: Yeah. Um, so we are just starting with uh, the students. And there's a couple reasons why. Uh, number one, they are the most at risk right now. And we want to make sure that our experience is truly extraordinary uh, and, and scalable. Um, so one of the things that's that's tough. Is I want to get this out to as many people as possible. You know, I have conversations happening over in England and Australia, and and you know, we we want to get this out there, but we want to do it in a very thoughtful way. Mm. Um, we do not want to put a, a a product out there that is going to lead people in the wrong direction. And the reason why I say that is you only get one chance. So. If somebody goes to our platform and they have a bad experience, mm-hmm. most likely it's gonna turn them off from getting trying anything else, even dealing with us again. And so we're trying to be very methodical on how we do this. So in saying that, we have decided also that because especially these digital natives, um, because that is what this generation is, they're actually helping us build the experience. So we have what's called the Founding 50, and these 50 uh, handpicked individuals are individuals that are dealing with behavioral issues. But there are also people that are thinking about this in a much bigger sense of we're trying to create a platform that could possibly change millions of lives across the world. Mm-hmm. And so... Their input into the experience itself is exactly what we need in order to be able to get this out to different cohorts, such as uh, young adults and to teens and to things like that. But we had to pick a group to first um, do a proof of concept with. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's
3: smart. And what is this company called, just in case people are wondering?
2: Uh, it's called Identify You. And so that's all one word and with a U at the end, like the letter U.
0: <laughs> Not Y-O-U. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's correct.
0: So identifyyou.com, right? hmm Awesome. Well, I can't
3: think of a better purpose of God keeping you here to bring such a powerful um, thing that is so needed in our in our world. So. I appreciate that.
2: I mean, it may uh, you know, it's first time in my life that I really felt like I was working on something that I, w- I was in love with. Yeah, it just I'm in love with it. I love I love what we're doing, and <laughs> you know, I really did not like my career for about 15 years. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to hate on it, but I, I definitely didn't find a lot of purpose in it.
1: Right. I was curious with that. Because you mentioned where you, in the past, you weren't close with God. Was there a a moment where you feel like God became like the forefront of your life?
2: (laughs) You know, um, so six months prior to starting this company, I I told my wife, I said, I've never felt more distant from God. And that was including the times Mm -hmm. before that I mentioned. I couldn't hear him. I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could talk to him. I, I felt like I was out on, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And then one day uh, something happened and it was, it wasn't even like he was close to me. It was almost like he's inside of me now and he's speaking through me. It's, it's very hard to articulate, but I don't question my intuition anymore because I know that God has a purpose much greater than I can even fathom. It blows my mind to think about what the future could hold and what challenges he has in front of me and how it's preparing me to do what he wants to do with me.
1: Yeah, that's huge. I love that. And it's. I feel like that's so true. I actually was talking to my therapist yesterday and I don't even remember what I was complaining about something and I think it was about actually like, should we have a third kid? Should we not? Like, I wish God would just like tell me the answer, like something silly like this. And I mean, I guess it's not that silly. It's kind of a big deal to have a third kid. But I think I made a comment of like, mm-hmm. I just don't want to go like against his plan. You know, like what, what does he want? And she literally said to me, she was like, Megan, you're not, you're not in control. Like, that's actually not up to you. Like, I th- I think it's sweet that you think you're like that powerful, but no. And I was like, oh yeah, you're so right. <laughs> so much bigger yeah. than me. So I love that.
2: Yeah. And it, and it feels so good to, to say that and mean it. Um For the first time in my life, I recognize how little control I actually have. It's almost laughable to think that I ever thought that I really had control over what was going to play out in my life. And I have a million yeah. stories. You know, I just got in that bike wreck yeah. um, and almost died uh, two weeks ago, almost got ran over by a car. I was listening to Frank Sinatra one minute, the next minute I'm laying in the middle of 360. So we, we don't have control. Um, all we can do is, you know, do our best, be honest. And that's, that's all we can do on a daily basis. Otherwise it's, it's up to God.
3: Yeah. And I think that, you know, knowing that you don't have to suffer in silence, I guess you can say, is so powerful and being able to speak your truth because I think like you've oh, said yeah. many times when you were finally able to fully show up and tell who you were what you're going through and who you are to that's when the healing process started. So I think Oh,
2: it's 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 beautiful. There is no greater feeling in the world just to go, "Hey guys, by the way, I am completely screwed up and I'm cool with it if y'all are cool with it." And it's cool because people they love it. They don't like you for, they don't like you for your car or the house. You, They like you because you're different. They like you because, you know, you're not the status quo and they love the things that, you know, your true friends love what's different about you. I mean, I could go on and on about Lauren over here and how different oh. she is. And like those things that sh- make her so, di- are the most Beautiful things to me. I mean, but they're not the norm, right? And I, that's what I love about people. That's yeah. what I love about you, Megan. That's what I love about you, Kristen. It's like, it's those little things that aren't like other people that don't fit into the status quo that make me fall in love with people. It is our imperfections, if you want to say.
0: Yeah,
3: I love that. Oh, so good.
2: <laughs> I, I know that I probably spoke more than most of your guests. I apologize for that, but. I wanted to be very open and honest and, and in that same vein, if anybody hears this and wants to reach out to me, I am always available. Um, nothing makes me happier than to get to speak to people about what they're going through and tell my story and, and, you know, it's it's cathartic for me. It makes me feel like I went through this for a reason and maybe I can provide a little bit of help where it's needed
1: we so like when we have guests i feel like we need we need them to talk because those are the moments that we get to learn and listen like we started this podcast to learn and grow alongside yeah. people so i feel like you're teaching so much to us to so don't feel that way
0: Parker, is there anything else that you or any message that you would love to share with our listeners? And before we um, close up and remind everybody where they can find you, and then I'll close us in prayer. But I just want to give you another opportunity to leave our listeners with any message that you would like.
2: I should have, I should have really have thought about this before because there's so many things, but what I really want people to just Mm -hmm. feel is that Man, we're all messed up. We all got stuff going on. We're all going through challenges. And the the things that are most beautiful in life are sharing those with the people that you love and sharing those challenges and letting people in. Nobody wants to be around somebody that's perfect. That just gets really old really fast. I am so... Oh, I am so... And I know Megan's the same way because she's friends with me. I am so attracted to people that just say, man, I am struggling, dude. Just, you know, can you be here for me? Like, just listen to me. I don't even know, you know, that, that's who my friends are. And those are the people that I'm attracted to. And I don't want anybody out there to think that people don't want to hear that from them. They do. It's just you are telling yourself that you have to be perfect. But actually, we want the opposite. We want to help people. We want to feel like we're of value in a relationship. Allow us to be of value to you because that makes us happy. So please don't suffer in silence like I did for probably a decade.
0: Amen. Thank you so much. And besides your website that we shared earlier, if you'll share that one more time and then anywhere else that people can get in touch with you, where do they go?
2: I would say personal email. So it's my first name, Parker dot t-e-r-l-a-a-k at gmail.com. And I love to to talk to people. If you ever want to reach out, please do. Awesome.
0: Yay. Thank you so much, Parker. we we love you and we love your story. Every, every detail of it, if you're okay with it, I'll close us in prayer. And part of my prayer, I'm going to take the words from a recent devotional that I read. I usually just um, pray off the whim, but, (laughs) but I feel like it's fitting for today's episode. And so father God, I, I, Thank you. We thank you so much today. Thank you for, um, placing Parker in our life personally. And I thank you for, for what you're doing with him and the work that you've placed on his heart. And I thank you for his vulnerability, for his good and your glory. And, um, I just pray that if this episode touches only one person, then it was every, every bit worth it. And, um, and I just pray that you continue to work through Parker and to reach as many people, um, out there that, that you have planned for him. And I'd pray for success and abundance over his, his new company. And father, thank you for rebuilding, um, from the rubble. for, are good in your glory again. And I just thank you that no circumstance is too far gone for you to bring about healing where it's desperately needed. Thank you for building us up when we all feel like just tumbling down, literally, and uh, help us to see your hand and heart of grace, rebuilding the shattered pieces of our souls. We just thank you for your love and um, your unconditional love and your unconditional um, peace and guidance, and help us to all remember to start each of our days seeking you and truly receiving um, you and your friendship and your companionship. We love you so much. And in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Amen.
2: <laughs> um,
0: well, Parker, thanks again. And listeners, uh, we. Thank you. And we love you. Thank you for tuning in another week with us. And uh, we hope that this episode reaches you and please feel free to share it with anybody in your life that you think might benefit from hearing Parker's story. All right. We will see y'all next week. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for
1: listening to another week of girl. I slept in my makeup. If you like us rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to learn more about us or get in touch with us, go to our website, girlisleptinmymakeup.com, where you'll also find links to our Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it and yeah, make it a great week. God bless.